Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Progressive Bitcoiner. I'm your host, Trey Walsh, and today we have on the show Jason Brett and Dennis Porter to talk about the regulatory landscape of Bitcoin and FinCEN and all of these other fun things that have been happening in Bitcoin the past uh, few weeks at the time of this uh, recording and then even now. Now, Jason, you'll know as Regulatory Jason, he was a former FDIC member during the great financial crisis and brings a lot of that knowledge and expertise to the digital asset uh, land to Bitcoin and does a lot of policy work with the Bitcoin Policy Institute, among many other things. And you can find more of his bio in the notes. He's been doing a lot of things in the space. Uh, so really had the pleasure of having him on to talk about all the regulatory landscape, the SEC, the FinCEN rule about crypto mixing and all of these things. So really uh, had the pleasure of talking with him and getting his insight on these issues. And then Dennis Porter, the CEO and co-founder of Satoshi Action Fund, uh, now, Dennis has been out there doing good work for the past two, three years, focused on Bitcoin mining, Bitcoin uh, policy advocacy at the state level, and uh, just brings a lot of charisma and passion to the Bitcoin landscape and to politics and talks to us about how to engage in the political process around Bitcoin and advocate. So having these two on together to talk about these things was really great. And we did a lot of focusing on progressive politicians. We focused on what are things we should actually be concerned about in this landscape and what are some more realistic approaches to what's happening in Bitcoin, which there's a lot of regulatory language um, that actually is looking pretty good for Bitcoin and a lot of things. So there's a lot of reasons to be concerned and keep in mind when thinking about Bitcoin and regulation and a lot of things to be hopeful for, I'd say, in terms of um, Bitcoin. And you definitely will glean that from this conversation. So anyway, hope you all enjoyed this episode. And like I've mentioned last time, we did a live stream of this via zap.stream. So thanks to everyone who attended that. Uh, going forward, you can attend and show up for our uh, live streams as well via zap.stream, which we put into our social site. So please come through for that. Uh, be sure to check out our promo links. And as always, if you have any questions at all, you can reach out to me. Hello at progressivebitcoiner.com. All right, I'll finally let you get to the episode. Sorry for the longer intro on this one. And we'll see you again next week. Hey, Jason, welcome to the Progressive Bitcoiner. Hey, Trey. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And and for those um, watching via zap.stream, thanks so much for joining us. And for those listening after the fact, um, as I'll be saying in many episodes, you can watch these uh, live streams when they come out and, and catch us on our social media channels to, to hear more about that. Um, some of you may notice as well from the the title, wherever you're listening or, or Zapstream now, Dennis isn't quite here yet. So Dennis is going to be joining us. But what I was just saying to Jason is the beauty of having two guests on is we can kick off the conversation and focus on Jason a little bit. Um, and, and then once Dennis joins us, um, he can he can come right in and we'll, we'll throw him into the recording here and pull him in for this this fun conversation. Um, but Jason, before we get in too much, a lot of people will know who you are been around the space for a while and many different capacities, your clubhouse days to, to now and the stuff you're, uh, you're doing now. But do you want to give people a little intro to who you are and what you do? Sure. So um, I've been in the financial services industry for 25 years. And in 2008, I started working at the FDIC as a capital markets um, analyst, and finance analyst. So right when the um, market crashed in 08, I was dealing with the the WAMU, the Wachovia, the all the different bank iterations, Lehman Brothers, and so on. So I got a lot of experience in that one or two year compressed time frame. Worked for the FDIC for a couple more years as a U.S. regulator, 
and then went on to work at Obama's Making Home Affordable program, which was about trying to stop the, um, you know, uh, remote controlled, you know, foreclosing on people's homes or robo foreclosing, uh, working with the large banks to make sure they'd implement the proper procedures. So that was on the compliance and consumer protection end of the spectrum. So I've sort of dealt with in the banking regulation space, the safety and soundness, the consumer protection, and then also the BSA AMLs, which is its own examination that's done on banks. 2016, I got into the space. I started with the Chamber of Digital Commerce as their director of policy, their first one, um, helped grow them for a while. I actually went to work for a time for uh, Joe Lubin with Ethereum, where I was the government relations executive for about a year. And then after that, I decided to go my own way. And so I do boutique consulting for firms in the space based usually on my choosing. I definitely like to find legitimate projects and also have been working in Forbes writing about the crypto and, and blockchain policy space. I'm also an advisor to David Sell, who's part of the uh, you know Bitcoin Policy Institute and helped them a lot with their work in Capitol Hill. Awesome. Uh, yeah, you're one of the, the folks. I mean, I, I first heard you um, through several folks, but also kind of watching your your interviews and talks on what Bitcoin did. And I'm sure that's how a lot of other folks um, might have might have come to know you a bit. But what I like about your approach and some of the things you talk about and even coming on this this podcast, the progressive Bitcoiner. So thinking through the regulatory landscape, um, thinking through what we're trying to do here is have conversations about Bitcoin and everything that kind of comes from that. And after that, to a progressive and left leaning audience that uh, it ebbs and flows in terms of rhetoric about Bitcoin, about digital assets, crypto, all of it, especially and, and unfortunately from the left. I think there's so many different things that are missing from uh, many, uh, not all, but many left politicians and left-leaning politicians that kind of separate from people on the ground who might actually be holding these assets, holding Bitcoin, using Bitcoin. So I'm really excited to jump into that with, with you today, um, with you and Dennis, and talk a little bit about that. As the climate, um, in my perspective, is heating up again a little bit in two different ways. In one way, um, a lot of mainstream adoption conversation and ETF conversation, which I think there could be polarizing views on this. But one view is it's more mainstream adoption and more access to, to Bitcoin in, in different ways uh, and, and getting it out there, price action, all of those things. And I think with that, then there's also regulatory concern and conversations with this new uh, FinCEN ruling or, and rules that they're proposing in terms of mixing services and just ways to approach crypto and Bitcoin, um, tying it to terrorism and different rhetoric around that. And a lot of it is just very confusing and overwhelming. And most of my friends uh, and kind of normies in my life probably wouldn't know at all what I'm talking about without some context and background, which usually I tell them regardless of whether they want to hear it or not um, at the end of the day. But this stuff is, um, it, it's important. I think it's really important to talk about. Um, and that's one of the conversations I wanted to to start with you on was just looking at the regulatory landscape of Bitcoin. What is your overall feeling on this? And of course, the regulatory landscape, as many will know, kind of includes crypto, includes all of these different things can be kind of vague. But you know, for, for this purpose, we'll focus on Bitcoin. How do you view the current regulatory landscape? Um, how are you viewing things these days compared to maybe in the past? So I actually think the Bitcoin regulatory landscape is pretty good. Um, you know, it's funny you talk about the progressives. I'll just mention real quick. I helped 
create the first stable coin bill, which was the Stable Act. So I was the author of that with Rohan Gray, who was a progressive and actually worked with offices um, uh, such as Congressman Lynch, uh, you know, who helped with that. And I think what's important to understand to me about when I was talking to them is there's a little bit of disconnect about what Bitcoin is versus other products. But the one thing we tried to work on with the stablecoin bill was to recognize that stablecoins could be dangerous. And I mean, we saw kind of what happened with that after the fact, even though the bill was just introduced, but never moved on. So progressives in Congress, as far as I'm concerned, for the last few years have been very progressive on their concept of what, you know, this technology is, definitely understand what a lot of their problems are with it. But that all that to say, there's no problem for Bitcoin because ultimately Bitcoin is considered a commodity. Uh, Gary Gensler doesn't seem to be disputing that. He made a joke, right, uh, about Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, and he said, done that before, like if Satoshi Nakamoto could stand up, you know, I think we've, he's acknowledged that this is the ideal scenario for where Bitcoin is not a uh, security. And that's a good thing. Bitcoin is a commodity and it's treated as such by the CFTC. And that's a better place for it. That allows us to do a lot of things the way we might treat gold and other other commodities, so to speak. So it's the first real digital commodity and it's understood where that is in, in the US. And that's just, to me, a lot to build on and positive from there. Negatives are, of course, the uh, energy issues and the idea of trying to do the crypto taxes maybe is unrealized basis. So there's a lot of tax considerations. But to me, if you're going to have a tax problem from a regulatory standpoint on Bitcoin, that means you've arrived. That means Bitcoin is big enough where they're trying to figure out how they want to tax it. So that's there's nothing really abnormal about that. The BSA and AML, you know, and, and the whole thing with FinCEN, um, I think it's very dangerous. And I think we all need to pause for a moment when we talk about this, because this isn't just and Jason, Just another. not to uh, not to jump in, I want you to continue that. I'm going to pull yeah. Dennis into our conversation. Then I oh, want yeah, you to, yeah. I want you to you to pick up here. Um, yeah, yeah. I want us to get an offense in. Hey, Dennis, we're we're live and we're throwing you in, man. Welcome. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't expect anything anything less. So I came I came prepared. Yeah, awesome. Good to, good to see you. Um, super excited to have you you both on. We were just about to get into to Fenson. Before we dig into that, a lot of people know who you are, Dennis, in the space, but do you want to give a, a, a shout about who you are, what you're doing for, for those hopefully normie folks we have trickling in here to the progressive Bitcoiner? Yeah, certainly. And, uh, and uh, thanks for having me on the show, Trey. I very much appreciate the invite. I've been a big fan of you uh, taking over the show and, uh, and, and pushing it out there and getting a lot of folks on here. You've been having a lot of folk, incredible guests on recently, including Jason. Jason, good to see you. Long time no see. Uh, just saw you, uh, what is it, uh, two, less than 24 hours ago on a call. So uh, I'm glad to be yep. here. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Dennis Porter. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Satoshi Action Fund. I'm also the president and founder of Satoshi Action Education. Both of those entities are essentially focused on helping to pr provide better education, uh, research, and also drive policy initiatives surrounding Bitcoin and uh, digital assets broadly in the United States. We have a very strong focus on the state level. So you'll see a lot of organizations in DC at the federal level doing great work. Um, that is not our, our cross to bear. We are, we're at the state level uh, where we are advancing policy uh, as, as quickly as we possibly can to be able to influence the policy decisions that are made in DC or, or in a worst case scenario, create a bulwark 
uh, against any sort of overreaction from the federal government as it, as, as it pertains to crypto, Bitcoin, digital assets, anything within this realm. We want to make sure that it's protected uh, from any sort of federal overreach broadly. Um, we've had a lot of success in our first year. We launched June of 2022. We were able to pass two policies into law in both Montana and Arkansas. And since then, we've been able to also um, produce or help produce. We didn't produce the research ourselves, but we helped get it through the peer review process. Um, and that we had a lot of success there. We brought on Dr. Murray Rudd to help us to navigate that space and to be able to help encourage more credible evidence-backed research to be uh, driven forward. So um, from there, we've also been able to now in 2024, get a lot of states interested in what we're doing. So we have the opportunity to potentially be passing law in anywhere between 10 and 15 states over the next 12 months. And so we're very, very excited about that opportunity and, and looking forward to diving into that and, and other topics here. Awesome. Thanks, Dennis. Um, Jason, you were bringing up FinCEN. And I'll add one, one thing here. I've received uh, so many questions about this ruling. And, and I've been you know, in the space doing things here and there the past couple of years, doing this podcast uh, since, since June. And there's been an overwhelming amount of questions. I think, you know, in general, I think we're, we're making so many advances on the environmental front, on so many different, different FUD factors. But there are a lot of people that um, I encourage people. I, I've taken a look at. I don't. I, I can't say I've read word for word every bit of this proposed rule, but I read a big chunk of it. I've seen some of the articles that analyze it, some better, some worse, on what it's actually saying. And I, I've received a lot of questions on this, and this is why I wanted to have an episode like this as soon as possible to get into a little bit of this. So you were saying there's some potential potential. Um, fear some potential things we should be looking out for in this in this regulation so just wanted to to jump it jump into it and, and hand it back over to you to, to discuss yeah so i mean dennis you know just talked about the some of the more uh outrageous things the u.s federal government can do sometimes as an overreaction to things that requires proper education so you know talking about the fincen ruling that came out right after the uh gaza israeli conflict began um, you know, FinCEN's had a long history. They were the first ones to come out with Bitcoin regulations in 2013. They've carefully created over time what the, you know, rules should be around Bitcoin. It's pretty much understood what they are, you know, vis-a-vis -vis like the money services businesses, like your typical exchanges. But, um, this surprised me because what I think is important to recognize is it's important for us to all acknowledge this isn't just a rulemaking. This is something that's for the very first time, the Treasury is using the Patriot Act under Section 311 to do a special rulemaking. And what's special about that is that the fact that Janet Yellen doesn't, didn't even have to do this notice of public record. She could All she has to do is confer with the Secretary of State, the Attorney General of the United States, two other people, and then she can just say that mixers or tumblers are a money laundering concern. So it's great that you're reading it. I've read it. It's great that people are responding to it. That's important. Um, but what's scary at, at this level, and this happens often after these major conflicts break out, is what I think is a bit of an overreaction in the fact that they felt they needed to use you know, something from the Patriot Act because this involves somehow virtual currency and terrorism to implement such a wide-ranging uh, impact to the industry over time that we'd have to treat all mixers as money laundering concerns for purposes of reporting under the BSA Act. I, I'll add one thing and then Dennis, kick it over to you for your thoughts. I know, I know Dennis, you had posted as well 
or Satoshi Action Fund and your camp had posted, you know, a lot of a lot of folks are posting. They want to uh, provide a response to this. They want to provide more context and more thoughts and more where do we go from here. One of my also concerns, Jason, and I'm, I'm curious if you share it, is, you know, not only was it was it mixing services, which I think there's so many different infringements on so many different areas of the Bill of Rights um, that they interestingly pointed out saying, okay, here's here's some problems with this overreach. It was almost a suggestion. Here's where it's a problem, but we can still do it. Um, it is the thought of anything that that is privacy invoking for any payments. It's very broad in my mind and a little and still very vague to me. I'd be curious if you have um, more thoughts on it. But for me, this could include something like lightning. This could include other wrapped payment types that are kind of privacy invoking of anything through any sort of blockchain, really. Um, to erase all privacy and to give to give authority to to do that, really, there's already a lot of authority to do that under the Patriot Act. Folks could argue, but it was very vague to me. I'm like, are they trying to insinuate that something like Lightning itself could be viewed as a mixing service that they would look to completely restrict, and that you're only going to be able to utilize and use Bitcoin through something like Coinbase, right? So I think that is on the more extreme end. Um, that was very that was very vague to me. So I'm I'm curious if you have thoughts on that or Dennis as well. Well, I would just say, first of all, it's really important for you and the listeners to understand that um, these things don't happen in a vacuum. So, like when the Treasury makes a rulemaking or decides to do something like that, like Yellen makes that decision, sometimes there's pressure from the White House or discussion with the administration. So it isn't just the Treasury acting on its own. Sometimes the White House might come in, and there's some tangential evidence that happened in the tornado cash case. White House came in and said, Treasury, you have to do this. And so that had to do with their fear of how North Korea might be taking money from tornado cash or using it as a mixing service. Mm -hmm. I think the point of this is they're thinking of tornado cash when they issued this. Yeah. They're not thinking about all the tangential things. No, yeah, They're after the cool. tornado caches of the world. And tornado cash is you know, we know now lost in the courts, right? In terms of mm -hmm. they backed up the treasury's ability on that. So part of this, you know, lunge forward is the belief also that courts will back them up. Dennis, what are your thoughts? I know it's been busy just across many fronts, but. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, sometimes the people ask for um, opinions on a, on a wide range of things. And there's, there's, you know, first we started off when I focused on Bitcoin, it was all about money, but now we're talking about energy and FinCEN and uh, payment rails and, and the impacts on terrorist fund fundraising. So I will say in some, some contexts, it is quite fascinating to see where we've come as an industry or a community, however you want to label Bitcoin and a greater digital asset ecosystem uh, to a place where, you know, uh, the secretary, uh, the treasury, where the presidential candidates where regulators, top regulators at the SEC are all regularly speaking about Bitcoin. I think that's a very good sign because if we want Bitcoin to do what, what we think it can, if we believe that it's possible for Bitcoin to at least accomplish even 50% of what we think it's capable of, these are the, likely the conversations that we need to be having along the way. So I think it's very encouraging to adoption broadly to know that um, Bitcoin is top of mind to the most powerful regulators, the most powerful political figures in the entire world. Um, to talk to talk a little bit about though, about really just FinCEN broadly, and and I'm not an expert. Just to put that out there, I'm not an expert FinCEN national security, which is why when Satoshi Action put out its post, we said, you know, if we feel like we can apply ourselves here, if we feel like we can uh, work with the right people to be able to respond to these comments, 
uh, we will do so because it, re- it does require a level of expertise and understanding um, and also being able to frame the conversation in a way that would be receptive to those um, that are infants at FinCEN is important. We don't want to just write comments for the sake of writing comments as an organization, um, although we would. Uh, if we had the time and resources, but we don't have unlimited time and resources. So we want to spend our time uh, where we can be impactful. And so far, that's been a really good way for us to determine where we will where, where we will put our time and our energy. Um, ultimately, though, the, the, I think the core issue with the way FinCEN is approaching this and the way a lot of regulators are approaching Bitcoin um, and, the, and the greater space is they don't have a deep understanding of the technology. And so they're trying to craft rules and regulation and policy uh, based off of a a lack of understanding of the, the technology at its core. So that's really, that's really, really front and center. Um, and unfortunately, regulators don't oftentimes have to go through the same process that, let's say, a member of Congress would have to go through when crafting policies. As, as Jason highlighted, they, some of these people can act um, uh, just sort of with uh, impunity and they can just, just do whatever they want to do. Um, and maybe they pay a price later. I mean, we just saw GAO come out and uh, slap the hand of the SEC, but that took a long time for that to take place. The SEC has been able to operate um, under those rules that they created for themselves for quite a while. Now, I think it was like over a year, maybe, Jason, if you correct me if I'm wrong, when this was originally implemented. And now, finally, we're getting a, um, a government watchdog coming in and, and slapping them down. But again, they can they can they they were able to and are still able to continue doing um, the things that are harmful to the industry without much sort of oversight, without much sort of input from the public. Um, I, um, I will say there are a lot, I, I'm speaking pretty broadly right now, there are a lot of regulators and policymakers and folks in the space who don't understand the technology. Um, there are some that do, though, and there are some that maybe they don't, but they are taking their time. I mean, I was spoken to uh, multiple U.S. Senate offices over the last couple of weeks, uh, particularly one today. And they are being very, very, very thoughtful in the way that they approach this technology. And I would encourage Bitcoiners, I would encourage anybody in the space who cares about the outcome of policy decisions to get involved in the policy process. Because if you want to see a world where the United States is a leader on Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining, which is something that I was the impetus for why I launched Satoshi Action, then you need to be engaged in the process because regulations are coming, laws are coming, policies are coming. Um, uh, to, to impact the space, and they're going to write them whether or not you're engaged in the process. So if you can be engaged, which, as an example, I love what uh, Jan did over at Swan Bitcoin with encouraging everybody to uh, write their comments and submit. If you can do that, do it. You know, it's like I, I'm not saying you know I wouldn't do the same thing, but um, but um, yeah, but be more engaged, be more involved, and and try to be very thoughtful because the people on the other end that are reading this stuff, you know. At the bare minimum, they they consider themselves to be thoughtful, if not if not for the fact that they they may be thoughtful in the way that they're approaching this stuff. So if you can be thoughtful in the way that you talk about how and why certain regulations should be implemented, um, you, there may be a receptive party on the other end of that that message. So I'll pause there, but I just generally think that it's I love to see that people are getting engaged and trying to make a, a difference, and I think you're going to see a lot more of that from the public and also from Satoshi Action as time goes on. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that too, Dennis, because you know, I go back and forth. Some days I, I wish we could just disregard these things or way, you know, it can get so frustrating when you know there's just an education gap for a lot of these lawmakers. And I mean, several different circles, um, including in Bitcoin circles or especially in, you know, far off, you know, Noster land, where it's um, 
it's a bit idyllic. It's a bit um, hyper Bitcoinization tomorrow. And there are some folks that are that are coming around to this, um, but others we still need to encourage. Like these things do matter, in my opinion. Um, I'm also similar to you, Dennis, like a political nerd on these things. So I have like a personal interest in this prior to even even Bitcoin. Um, but I think it really does matter because it's a really good point. Like they're going to be putting out the these laws, these proposals, and it really can impact like the technology alone. Um, it's not going to win on its own. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, talking about the, the cultural movement, of talking about the political movement involving Bitcoin and things like that, not because Bitcoin is political, but because these things can really impede what happens going forward. And I, I think Lynn Alden touched on it in her book, Broken Money as well. And so many other people have, like, it's not inevitable. You know, big, there's nothing about Bitcoin that's inevitable. There's nothing inevitable about the most fantastic tech on the planet lasting right? Like these things we have to be engaged in, which is why I'm so glad that you two are in the space doing a lot of this very practical engagement um, on these things. I think that's really important. Yeah, I think there's a there's that sort of trope around the Bitcoin space, which can be helpful and harmful at times, which is that, um, you know, Bitcoin is inevitable, that Bitcoin's always going to win. You know, in, in some ways, I, I understand the reasoning around it, because uh, as a technology, I think Bitcoin is poised to carry on and be successful in some fashion or another, regardless of what the United States does. But I personally want to live in a world where the United States is a leader on innovation and on this technology in the same way that they were a leader um, in innovation and technology surrounding the development of the internet and the various tech companies that have spawned up since then. I mean, there are literally trillions of dollars of GDP that can be had here, um, very similarly to how when we had companies like Apple and Amazon and Google root themselves here in America and America benefited from those, we so too can benefit from making sure that Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining operations take place here in America. Yeah. And before we, because I, I, I'll transition us out of FinCEN, but I'll ask a maybe a clickbaity question in a way, which usually I refrain from. But Jason, how um, concerned, in your opinion, should we be about this rule proposal from FinCEN? Let's say it just moves forward in whatever capacity. Um, is this something that that you think about? Is this something that you would be concerned about? Or is it kind of the implications of these things are going to keep coming back? These conversations are going to stay here. Like what, what level of, of concern is there? Or is it, well, we're post-Patriot Act and this is just the world we live in. Well, how, do you, how do you view things like this? I think it's really important to understand the national security implications from the perspective of what that means now in this country and what that enables people to do or use. So just to give you an example, back in 2020, when they issued the FinCEN proposal that never went anywhere on unhosted wallets, part of the refrain from Treasury was, we can't really listen to all the comments that are coming in that people are writing because some of them may be bad actors from Russia or China, and they just don't want us to implement this rule. And so there's a bit of a discounting effect as to how much you listen to in a national security um, you know, rulemaking proposal that's really more, I would say, sort of a, a measure of a CYA, right, for Treasury. Because if they have that, they ask for the public, they got all the responses, they can show that later in court. You know, it wasn't just yelling, just deciding on a whim. Where I'm concerned and where I think we need to just be very clear with our government about is you can't make policy about Bitcoin from a national security lens or from these rulemakings. There needs to be the deliberations process 
at the state level, you know, with the democracies Dennis is working on, and then at the federal level. Things shouldn't be done, you know, in a knee-jerk type fashion, like we had with the tax rule proposal from two years ago. So I would say both the um, speed at which we saw this come, which was on the heels of a Wall Street Journal article that talked about 130 million, that's now what, 13 cents use of crypto. You know, we just don't know the numbers, it's driving this decision. You know, we need to this we need our policymakers to be deliberate in this space. We don't need them to be knee-jerk or reactionary. My hope is somebody like Dennis, we can see, who can build off the base of what Bitcoiners are all about and get us to a position where we need to be, which in my analysis is like an NRA or an ARP type level, right? Because the NRA isn't necessarily a majority, but when there's something that goes against something they're doing, they're very quick to be able to stop, you know, policymakers in their tracks. I have, mm. you know, the juice to do that. And I think Bitcoin has the potential to do that. But if we don't use that from time to time, they'll just kind of continue to steamroll over whatever they want to do in the space. Yeah. I hope people don't clip that soundbite. Well, Bitcoin's like the NRA. Let's set it up like that for my audience. I just lost all of my audience. No, I'm just kidding. So I, I know I know the, wh what you mean, though, in terms of the just objectively that that power and influence of what is going on. Now, Bitcoin could be, in my personal view here, such a good use case of that as a as a lobbying a policy advocacy, where, as Dennis has been alluding to, and maybe a couple of years ago, I would have been like, I don't know, Dennis, that's kind of I don't know. But then a lot of it just seems to keep coming true where it keeps coming up that Bitcoin is a it is an issue on many, many politicians' landscape. It is a talking point in presidential candidates, right? And people can weigh that in different ways, but it, it coming up. Um, now, now, you mentioned, and I want to get both your input on this. You mentioned, you know, the, the numbers, uh, the Wall Street Journal article, a lot of politicians taking and running with this. And I, I think that's a good place to have a conversation on as well. That's a big concern of mine and front of mind is, you know, I'm here in Massachusetts. I mentioned Elizabeth Warren almost every time because I am a, concerned constituent. I am historically a Democratic voter, although registered independent this last year, which I had, I had put out and told people about. Um, very, very disappointed in Elizabeth Warren's camp. And for a while, I've been, you know, maybe putting out thoughts here and there on some of those things. But I think at this point, seeing the disingenuous tone from her, from staffers, from a camp like that, I don't know if I can really trust much of anything from a politician like that or from uh, Senator Warren because of the inability to take a look at facts and go from there, right, on almost every issue. That doesn't mean I'm going to just disagree with anything that she proposes from her camp, you know, just out of the gate. There are a lot of policies and proposals that I would agree with from, from my view as a progressive. Um, but it's been so concerning to me, and I, I don't see it trending in a right direction. I don't want to overstate this because I think both of you are realists in this camp as well, which is another good reason to have you on. You're having conversations with all sorts of different camps in D.C. throughout. Dennis is having great conversations and work uh, at the federal level, but mostly these state levels that are showing examples uh, for folks and trying to do this in a bipartisan way, even though it might skew right a little bit initially. Um, Dennis, I know your work has been bipartisan focused. So, you know, thinking through these things in the, the climate of politics, how do you weigh that in, in all of this? I, I think. Some days I might overweigh it, but I, I'm very concerned with it. And just in terms of politicians' characters, which sure, I know a lot of Bitcoiners are like, well, they've never had character or, or whatever the case may be. But I'm, I'm really disappointed in someone like 
Elizabeth Warren, who I I personally didn't uh, uh, vote for in terms of presidential campaign, but would have been a person who really I aligned with. I put support behind Bernie Sanders, which a lot of Bitcoiners uh, did at the time as well um, of those progressives I know. So anyway, I'll stop there. I'm just I'm very um, concerned and just disappointed, I think, in some of the progressive left camp, which Senator Warren spearheads in terms of the, the crypto hate, the Bitcoin hate. Yeah, certainly. Um, you, you you hit on a lot of really important things here. Uh, I, you know, to start off, it is disappointing to see folks like Elizabeth Warren, who should be just uh, outspoken proponents and champions of this technology, a technology which can help to uh, bank the unbanked. It can provide a protection and equal access to financial services to folks who traditionally have been left behind. So folks within the LGBTQIA plus community, uh, the trans community, uh, minorities, any of these groups have just over time faced uh, being discriminated against. And that, that stems all the way down to the financial level. Um, and so for the first time ever, there's a money and a payment system where they can't be discriminated against, where it's impossible to stop them from having access to financial services. And that's a truly powerful a uh, powerful tool to have in their tool basket. And to see people like Elizabeth Warren, who have traditionally been very supportive of those communities, not see the value of Bitcoin um, for those communities is upsetting and, and is disappointing. You know, the same thing could be said about Bitcoin mining too. Bitcoin not only is good from an economic perspective for disenfranchised groups, but it can also be a powerful tool for mitigating methane emissions for balancing the grid, for enhancing renewables and carbon-free energy. Yet again, you know, we don't see Elizabeth Warren latching on to any of those ideas. We see her sort of touting um, what are now debunked numbers around on Bitcoin being used as a tool for uh, funding terror, which is something we should be very, very concerned about. Absolutely concerned. But we've all known for a very long time that cash is the number one method. Traditional finance is the number one method for uh, illicit transactions and for trying to uh, sort of fund terrorist organizations because it's the most untraceable form. And it's the, most per- it's the most permissionless and untraceable form of money in combination that you can use for those purposes. I mean, it's, as an example with what's going on with Hamas, I mean, everybody knows we've covered this, but there has been um, evidence to show that donors have actually stopped sending money through crypto payment rails because of how traceable and trackable it is, and the donors were getting exposed. And so they told their donors to stop doing that, stop sending them Bitcoin. Um, and so, yeah, but we just see Elizabeth Warren just brush that to the side. We don't see her coming in and saying, oh, wow, there is some value here. Like, I was, we were able actually to track down uh, the, the, some folks that are funding terrorism because of the traceability and the trackability of Bitcoin. And that extends even further, too. I mean, one of the things that Elizabeth Warren has talked a lot about is government accountability. I mean, there's nothing more accountable than having all of your financials on a blockchain, right? Like on a public ledger. And yet we don't see her talking about this. So it's clear that she's, she's hostile. Um, hopefully one day she won't be hostile. Um, I don't necessarily hold out a whole lot of hope um, for her camp. Um, but ultimately, we're going to keep pushing forward as, an organiz- as, a, as a community, as an organization, as a Toshi Action, um, because we believe that Bitcoin can provide very significant economic, societal and environmental impacts. And to some extent, I mean, I mean, people sometimes will think I'm a little bit crazy when I say this, but like Bitcoin is, is, is a moral issue in the sense that it solves 
a lot of the problems that we face today, or at least greatly positively impacts them. Maybe it doesn't eliminate them, but it certainly helps. Uh, as an example, the man that is houseless on the side of the road who doesn't have a bank account because he doesn't have an address um, and he can't get a job because he's not dressed well, he's not clean shaven, he doesn't look like the type of person that would walk in to hold down one of these jobs, um, can't can never break free from those chains because you need to have a address to get a bank account and to get to have a, once you have a bank account, then you can have a job. Once you have a job, you know, you can do all these other things, but he's limited. Well, for the first time ever now, that individual who was not able to have financial services overnight now has the ability to have access to a financial tool, a digital financial tool. And that's extremely powerful. And some would say that's a moral issue to solve those problems. And if Bitcoin is coming in and solving them, and then we need to do everything possible to explore how money problems and how how big of an impact this technology can have. And that's also why, you know, and that's the issues that I care a lot about. There are issues that others care a lot about that Bitcoin has a plays a part in. But I think that's why you'll you'll see that just generally the Bitcoin community rally around just driving Bitcoin forward. Because we can we can certainly argue over what we want to do with Bitcoin in the future. We can certainly sit around at a table and say, well, maybe we should encourage more green energy growth. Maybe we should disincentivize uh, the use of carbon intensive energy for Bitcoin mining, or maybe we should help encourage the growth of uh, Bitcoin access for disenfranchised groups. Like we could debate how and where we do that, but we're not even at that point yet. We're sitting here at a table saying, should we allow Bitcoin and crypto and digital assets to even exist and to operate functionally in the United States? That's not the conversation we should be having. We should be figuring out what we want to do with this tool. And it is a tool. And I tell this to everybody everywhere I go, every conversation I have, Bitcoin is a tool. Bitcoin mining is a tool. You can use it for good. You can use it for bad. You can use it for things that you like, or you can use it for things that you don't like. And ultimately, it comes down to policy decisions. What do we want to decide from a policy perspective on the types of behavior that we're going to encourage? Because we're not going to live in an anarchist world. I know a lot of Bitcoiners are out there. There's some guys that like, you know, the idea of no rules, no regulations, let everyone, everything ride free. Um, not my take, not my approach. I think it's important to have good guidelines and good um, sort of roadblocks as people go through the system so that they don't get taken advantage of. Um, but, but we need to get to that point. We need to get to the point of what are we going to encourage and what are we going to disencourage? Not, oh, let's just get rid of Bitcoin. You know, let's create an anti-crypto army, Elizabeth Warren stance. Like that sort of makes me feel like, you know, 30 years ago, she would have been the person saying, let's create an anti-internet army. Like nobody debates whether or not the internet should exist. They say, okay, well, we're going to encourage this type of behavior on the internet and we're going to discourage this other type of behavior on the internet. And we can do the same thing with Bitcoin. I think we should do the same thing with Bitcoin. And I look forward to the day when we can have those debates because right now we're just debating all for its existence. Hi, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bitbox. Now, Bitbox is a hardware wallet that's open source, incredibly secure and easy to use. And it's what I'm using to safely secure my Bitcoin in cold storage. Now, I know self-custodying Bitcoin can really be intimidating, but Bitbox is designed for ease of use without compromising on security. It's USB-C compatible and allows you to easily back up and restore your private keys with a micro SD card, which is really cool. Now you can purchase the Bitbox using the promo code TPB at the link found in the show notes for 5% off your purchase. And I really want to thank Bitbox for their support of the podcast. And I'm really excited about this new partnership. All right, I'll let you get back to the episode now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and setting setting the ground rules too. And you know, I know it feels like for those listening, like beating a, head, a dead horse when talking about like Elizabeth Warren or these things. But one thing I want to be clear on too, that that happens is like us, 
the progressive Bitcoiner. Now, it's kind of similar to Jason Myers' book. A lot of this is my view as a progressive. It's not the progressive take. Like progressive and left is one of the largest camps you'll find, I think. But coming from us at the progressive Bitcoiner, uh, progressive speaking out and saying, hey, Camp Warren, we're really disappointed. Like we, we were with you. Like we, we get it. Like we're not, we're not Ted Cruz's camp. We're not from the right. We're not these other Bitcoiners that you think are from the right or some are from the right or this US-based libertarian Bitcoiners. Like we are like in your neck of the woods, like literally I'm here in Massachusetts. Literally, I'm a constituent. Literally, there are so many progressive Bitcoiners that are of the left and share those same values. This is why we're disappointed and this is why we're speaking out. I think it's important for progressives to keep speaking up and out on this and not just say, ah, that's just that's just Warren's rhetoric. That's just no. Elizabeth Warren has continued doing this and it's gotten worse and worse and less and less factual. And I, I feel a duty and obligation to call it out and, and pick your battles. Yes, but continue calling it out and not just saying that's just her camp because it's being co-opted politically. Um, there's all sorts of things that are being created that I know, Dennis, I can't imagine must, must drive you nuts because we can't even get to the point where we're able to argue the merits of Bitcoin because we can't get through the like unknown or these these facts that are not facts that politicians are saying are facts about Bitcoin. We can't even get to argue about what are the pros and cons because we're, we're not setting the record straight on things. So I am also looking forward to getting to that point I don't know when, maybe we're a year out, maybe we're two years, five years. I think it will happen where, okay, Bitcoin is this tool. Now let's, let's begin a new chapter of talking about how we can use it. Um, Jason, I want to throw it over to you though and, and hear your thoughts about this. One, you know, you mentioned, joked with me about like sort of mentioning the NRA, how that might turn off. So this may be something your listeners will like better. But like when I spoke to a lot of the progressives, I don't, I think of Senator Warren as an aberration, not like the mainstream thrust of something that I think is very interesting that they want to see done. And this goes to Dennis's great example of the person on the street who can, you know, finally use this as a tool. And here we are talking about the Bitcoin mixer issue and can you be identified or should it be anonymous? Well, one of the things that eCash Act, which is one of the progressives' bills that came out that talked about sort of a treasury version of eCash versus the CBDC. You know, their vision is for a pseudonymous form of money because they don't want minorities to be identified by the government or be the target, right, of other people. And so I'm, I've been waiting for us to get through all this noise and get to a point where we can say, you know what, the Lightning Network is what should be used for eCash because the SATs could provide that to people, could give that person that maybe we're worried about as a progressive, from the progressive point of view, Suddenly, the government's going to get that information, and even though that guy has an account, we're going to take all his data and then sell him all the stuff he doesn't need. You know, this is a way of providing that. You know, just the way we do with cash to our citizenry, and why there's this concern about the war on cash, right? Because that's that's where the minorities have been shifted out and been de-risked on the banking side. So, to me, I'm waiting for the you know David Marcus of LightSpark moment, you know, coming in and saying, look. I know we tried Libra, forget about Facebook, you know, forget about 2019, but like here is what you want, which is essentially going to be a private sector solution that creates a synonymous form of cash so the citizenry don't have to feel targeted by their own government. It's there. It's already there. That's that's the beauty of it. And, you know, I've heard the description sometimes, curious Dennis's take on this, when they kind of say, well, we want like 
cash and digital cash in someone's pocket, but we don't want it like tracked, you know, on a blockchain. And so, yeah, Bitcoin is tracked on a blockchain, but lightning nodes can be done differently. Right. And so I think that's where there's an opportunity for not lightning to be thrown into the, you know, money laundering camp. And, and that's the problem at the base of this idea of that all mixers just need to be money laundering concerned. Because this is the digital world. This isn't the financial world where the option of cash or the option of paying with a credit card. At some point with digital cash, you're only going to have one option, you know, of using that Bitcoin, mm-hmm. of using that lightning. And so to just mesh, you know, the, and that's what ha- it goes back to Dennis said about education, right? They don't have the education. They're doing things that are breaking things and they need to understand the depth of this technology and be able to see down the road a little bit of what this is going to do. Cause this is the next internet. There's no question about it. Yeah, cer- certainly on the yeah, privacy that- side of things. Uh, oh, sorry, the, the the delay is kicking in again here. So um, apologies for cutting in. But go ahead, um, Dennis. Yeah, yeah I, people um, want to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's your show. That's why they show up, right? Um, I'm, I'm glad you're an, you're an active uh, host. So I'm sure that a lot of the audience uh, pops in here to hear from you. We need to hear more from progressives. Um, so on the privacy side of things, I just wanted to highlight that I think what's really pretty incredible about Bitcoin is that although you do see quite a bit of trackability, traceability uh, for for Bitcoin transactions, um, and that also helps, I believe, actors with large amounts of resources and time uh, to be able to go after folks that are performing illicit activity, to be able to go after uh, anyone who'd be interested in trying to use these assets to fund terror and to do it in a way where it's, it's trackable back, you know, permanently, right? It's a forensic trail, so to speak, that's created. Um, But also at the same time, uh, at the individual level, at the user level, there is an increase in privacy and and there's an increase in anonymity that is afforded to the folks that are engaging with this, with this network. So it's, it's sort of from an education perspective, something that we need to explore more with policymakers, people who care about privacy, but also simultaneously care about the ability to use crypto and Bitcoin to do things that we don't like, um, it, it, that Bitcoin helps with both of those things. Um, sort of, it's a win-win scenario. You get to increase uh, accountability, transparency, traceability, trackability, but also down to the individual level, it's an improvement over the current status quo. Because the current status quo is essentially, um, you know, uh, unmitigated spying on the American people at a granular level um, that I think people you know, before our time would be sort of pretty appalled with, um, given the, the the current state of the play with the third party doctrine, um, and the ability to spy on virtually any transaction at any time. So I uh, need to know who bought it and what they're buying. And so I think that when you look at Bitcoin and its ability to improve, uh, or at least obfuscate what is being purchased and who is being purchased is really valuable. Again, going back to those groups, going back to the people that are the, are the politically disfavored. If you are politically disfavored, and or you are a minority disenfranchised group, being able to go and um, you know t- take advantage of you know gender affirming surgery, and then not having that be public information that anybody can just go look at, I think is very valuable. Being able to use you know reproductive services uh, again pri- privately without people knowing is something I think that vast majority of people that are interested in um, in those services would would like they would like to see enhanced privacy so generally speaking again i can't i can't highlight enough uh how disappointing it is that senator warren and other potential progressives 
don't see those values and instead of sort of siloed themselves into believing that everything to do with crypto is a scam and is fraud, which there is plenty of that for certain um, that should that we should be keeping an eye out for. But to lump Bitcoin in with that and to lump all the potential environmental, social, and economic benefits in with uh, the worst of them is, is disheartening. Um, luckily, though, we do have good folks that are working diligently in Congress and at the state level. I was just speaking to a Senate office today that where they said, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I was like, that, exactly. That's exactly right. Like, do not get out of hand here with this and decide that you need to overregulate this space. And then you end up crushing, you know, the next 10 to 20 to 30 years of not only economic prosperity, but privacy tools and savings tools that Americans should be given as much access to as humanly possible. Yeah, there, there's so much that both of you said, but uh, Dennis, in this last point, one um, one Netflix documentary that I'll put a plug in for, it came out a couple of years ago, um, but I, I think it's called like 9-11 Turning Point or something like that. Um, and this is stuff I had heard before. I mean, listen, I was in fourth grade when 9-11 happened. I think there's there's so many different stories like, okay, 9-11, then great financial crisis and me growing up as a millennial. So many reasons attracted me to Bitcoin r- regardless of this. Um, but one thing they covered in that documentary was how with the Patriot Act and this mass surveillance, there were there were folks that even in the documentary actually were still kind of supportive of it, which is interesting when they're involved in the documentary saying we we did what we felt we had to do. And that that stood by the line. There was another gentleman who I'm I'm forgetting his name, was one of the one of the architects in this and kind of asked to pull in and do this, was like, you know, we came through with this and and there's really no credible research to suggest similar to something like waterboarding metaphorically like that that didn't really elicit the response we wanted from these terrorist groups from guantanamo from from these other things right same thing with the patriot act some of this information having all of this data and information did that actually research wise lead to less terrorist activity or less potential um no was that was the the ultimate verdict i mean it, it was kind of like no this didn't really actually um, generate what we hoped it would in in terms of thinking, okay, we'll have access to all of this and therefore we can stop evil in its tracks, right? Similar to talking about Hamas, right? Hamas has a bank account like in Qatar. They have, I was just talking to Alex Gladstein about this, like traditional finance rails, they're supported by these countries. It's more like if you were to sever completely, which is impossible um, uh, you know, in terms of the the Bitcoin network, all crypto rails, blockchain, whatever, if you were to sever it, it didn't exist tomorrow. Hamas would still be resourced. Um, these terrorist groups would still be resourced by traditional finance, by these state actors. You'd have to go back to diplomacy, back to national security stuff. So what I'm still trying to figure out is we've have we not learned lessons from these things of this mass surveillance isn't isn't working and producing the benefits that we had hoped from a national security standpoint? Why is it going to be any different with Bitcoin? My last point I'll say on this is I absolutely think we should go after groups that are using crypto for evil. We can do that. Do police work. FBI, like do your job. Like go go find these people. Do that sort of police work instead of saying, you know what? Hey, we're going to open it up. We're going to surveil everything. I'm going to sit in my desk and uh, just we're going we're gonna to stop it. No, you're, you're kidding yourself, honestly. Um, I think time and time again, we've seen you're kidding yourself. So this is not the road to go down, but we continue to go down this road. Um, so many politicians, and maybe it's because I'm so steeped in the Warren camp that um, I'm feeling a bit more pessimistic on it than you two are alluding to, which is great. And I try to talk to more people like you. 
because of my jadedness uh, on on this front, but it's um, it's just driving me nuts <laughs> at, at the end of the day in terms of how do we keep going down this route and um, not pulling back from their surveillance state. And I'm saying this as a progressive because not enough progressives are saying this, in my opinion, or seeing the problem here. I wouldn't say necessarily like that we're trying to, uh, you know, assuage you about Warren. You know, I mean, it is dangerous, but it is just one senator, right? Mm-hmm. And you have things like the Supreme Court and other things in this country that can offset sometimes what one person might do. Um, and, and I say that because, first of all, with the mass surveillance stuff, I personally think that some of the pressures on Bitcoin will go away at some point. Because you have to remember in the 70s, you know, the whole FinCEN started because people were using cash to buy drugs, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, you could walk down the street and if you had a trace of cocaine in your briefcase full of cash, a treasury official would take it from you and you wouldn't get that cash back ever. They freaked out about the idea. Now we know there's like whatever traces of cocaine, whatever, through all the dollar bills in the system. So like treasury got over it. At some point, I think treasury will quote unquote, get over this fear of Bitcoin and did it go through North Korea or is it somehow a terrorist aspect and recognize there are enough tools there for them to do their job, more tools that you have for cash. So I I think at some point you'll see that aspect of things come into reality where Warren's pushing on all this doesn't end up being the degree that, you know, she she wants it to get to. The other thing, and the reason I bring up Warren in this context of the Supreme Court is you know, another real important part of Dennis's mission has to do with, you know, the EPA and, um, you know, this, what the miners are able to do. You know, there was, you know, West Virginia versus USA in, in, in um, I'm sorry, West Virginia versus EPA last year. And that was a really important case, right? Because it was, it had to do with what's inside the fence line and outside the fence line that you can do. You can regulate emissions, carbon emissions that's like within a plant. But when you talk about generation shifting to different forms like wind, solar, it's a, it took the teeth out of the EPA where they're not supposed to do that. Some of the things Warren has asked the EPA to do around Bitcoin energy usage would technically be, go right up against the Supreme Court ruling because she's asking them to do something that, and that's why you haven't really seen, in my opinion, the EPA come out with something really negative about Bitcoin mining or start to do some rulemaking because- they know under West Virginia versus EPA could be quickly overturned by the Supreme Court if it falls in that realm of being outside the fence line. And I think there's enough gray areas in Bitcoin mining where to say you're really outside the fence line. This is what are you talking about with carbon emissions? There could actually be benefits to it. So that to me is where I at least get a little bit of hope um, about when we hear about war and it's just the dialogue of the day because we have Supreme Court, we have you know Congress, we have a potential election that could change things next year that can tend to balance this all out. And I just think at some point, um, you know, the, the EPA will, will have to make some kind of decision on this, but it will be limited thanks to West Virginia versus EPA. Um, cer- certainly, um, you know, I will say one of the benefits of a decentralized form of government, which we have, is that it can take time to uh, enact policy decisions and there are certainly also uh, opportunities to claw back bad policy decisions, um, which is good because it, it forces us all to sit and really think about uh, what we want to do and and where we want to go as a country and to give us time to come to our better senses. Because uh, ultimately, I think a lot of our the worst policy decisions we've ever made in this country have been derived from a place of fear and from a place of feeling the, as if though 
we need to move a lot faster, move a lot quicker. Um, you know, the the extent of the Patriot Act and to to the to the sort of uh, sort of extremes that it goes to is a testament to that to that issue. You know, we were very concerned about our safety, and we were willing to give up every little ounce of, of freedom and privacy in order to make us us feel better. And so. I uh, couldn't agree with Jason Jason Moore on that front. And I look forward to also really diving into this environmental side of things. You know, I will say w- there has been quite a bit of um, positive headway in that in that area. The one clear, very, very clear example of the progress that we're making on the environmental side isn't that, you know, necessarily the progressives or the EPA is is running towards Bitcoin as an environmental tool, which I think, you know, some, there's sm- some people in, obviously in the Bitcoin world that are progressives and that care about the environment that are, but it's um, um, it's very small in comparison to what where we need to be at. And I think that eventually what you're going to see is, is that's going to change. But but the one sign that we're headed in the right direction is that for the first time ever, you're starting to see people that don't care that much about Bitcoin, but are in the crypto space, talk about Bitcoin mining as a positive. Uh, so to put it in context, you know, I've been doing and engaging on Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining policy for roughly two years, maybe you could say three years, is, you know, if you want to count pre-Satoshi action fund days. Uh, and during that time, when the environmental issue came up around Bitcoin mining, immediately everybody in the crypto space that was not a Bitcoiner, didn't care a lot about Bitcoin, uh, would cast us cast proof of work aside and just say, oh, we maybe Bitcoin will move to proof of stake. Yeah, we don't really like that either. And you know X Y Z, and it's it's you know we'll, they'll they'll figure out a way to to use less energy one day. That was sort of the going argument, but now you hear people that uh, do not care still really that much about Bitcoin saying you know Bitcoin mining is a tool for balancing the grid. Bitcoin mining can help with green energy, uh, and then even going as far as saying that Bitcoin mining is a tool for um for, for you know for co- reducing carbon emissions from methane to the point where the entire Bitcoin network could go carbon negative. I have heard multiple times uh, people from some of the largest crypto firms in space say Bitcoin mining could go carbon negative. So that is a huge sign because previously those crypto people were sent, were trying to dodge the question of Bitcoin's environmental concerns by saying, oh, it could go, it could be, um, you know, go to proof of stake, no problem. All of us that are very focused on Bitcoin, of course, know that that is virtually uh, impossible and will never happen. Um, and, but we've been able to convince those people to stop saying that. And we've convinced them to start saying, uh, what is the truth? And then the truth is that Bitcoin mining is a powerful tool for energy infrastructure, for balancing the grid. And you know, of course, all the other items that we've talked about a few times here already. And that's important because now, instead of fighting the crypto people on this issue, they're out there championing Bitcoin um, and championing the value of the technology as climate mitigation technology and as a tool to enhance renewable and renewable energy as well. So that's a huge shift. And I think it's something that we should all be proud of because now we're just one step away from seeing uh, larger swaths of the policy world on the progressive left, environmental left, uh, see that value, see the potential and, and get on board. I think a key part in there, and of course I'm biased because this is part of my work, um, a key part of that is producing peer-reviewed research. And, and so that's what we're really going to be focused on at Satoshi Action is providing that peer-reviewed research around these claims so that the people that now are on the fence about Bitcoin mining, who maybe it were previously like sort of um, felt appalled by the energy consumption, 
are now on the fence, but they need that last little bit of credible evidence-backed research to say, no, this is right. Bitcoin can do these things and you should be crafting policy and regulations to incentivize that type of behavior. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, both of you are just echoing the the sentiment and the I think the reality that while day to day, this kind of rhetoric and things may seem bleak in certain moments for those that have been around long enough, even me only being in the Bitcoin space a couple of years now, it's it's almost night and day even from that, especially on the environmental front. That's been one of the biggest things for me that I'm like, oh, wow, like we're really going to going to get somewhere with this thing. Yeah, Bitcoin aside, like uh, in terms of like people owning, holding Bitcoin, that kind of thing, like Bitcoin mining to actually be a use case to address um, greenhouse gas emissions and methane flaring and all of these other things. Um, you know, we have something for these protesters to to work for now and to actually focus on. Um, and, and I'm a huge advocate of protesting and doing that. Absolutely. But now it's like, let's do that. And let's do some Bitcoin mining. Um, let, let's show you, let's take it and flip it on its head. Like, what, what do you mean? Um, now, if you can get past it's hard to have a conversation with someone who says, well, just use less energy. That's that's kind of a hard starting place for, for some point in some environmentalist friends of mine. When you start there, that's kind of difficult. But when you get past, we need to use energy. Like as human beings, as society, we need to use energy. That's how we've ever only ever built. Um, Bitcoin mining is one of the few things I see right now to actually address um, these greenhouse gas emissions and get us closer to some of these targets that we've set and the Paris Climate Accord and other other nations. Um, right now, if other things come around, that's great. Uh, the more the merrier. But Bitcoin mining is one of the best things to to solve that. So, I mean, so thank you, Dennis, and I mean so many others that are just hitting home some of these points um, for everyone. I mean, not just progressive left. Like it's it's just net positive <laughs> these kind of conversations, and it happens to involve Bitcoin. So if you think Bitcoin's a dirty word, you got to rethink some of that. This data and research is not going to stop. It's only going to continue until there's no more haters left on certain factors of of Bitcoin. Um, the environmental argument is is real and exciting, so it's it's very exciting too. Yeah, Trey, I would um, just the last thing I would add that you know when you mentioned this idea of you know we don't want the really bad people you know from the illicit finance side to be using Bitcoin, right? No one here on this call wants North Korea to start using Bitcoin in any certain ways. No. What I think we're at the point with, though, is we need to demonstrate to Treasury and policymakers now that we're not just about the talk. You know, we can say that. We can all say, yeah, we don't want it. But what we have to think through is this is a complicated thing for them to try to understand with sanctions. And if you look at what they did back in 2018 with the Venezuelan Petro Trump executive order, basically made it a crime for any American to use their petrodollar coin, right? Because you'd be supporting the Venezuelan government. And that, and so there needs to be a table of just really smart people who just need to have like a, a whole sanction conversation. Like, what does it mean to do that with this new money? And do we accept that as Bitcoin grows in value, it's a valuable tool that are probably going to be used by some bad people. So what can we propose as a community to try to make sure that progressives, the citizenry can benefit from things like lightning, but that at the same time, we do our job to make sure the really bad people don't do stuff that they're always going to do, right? It isn't, and it isn't just Bitcoin. There's so many other technologies, you know, there's AI, right? We could have an AI created Dennis Porter that could start saying something wrong and 
you know, suddenly everyone's saying, oh, well, just ban AI. You know, we can't have it. Like, mm-hmm. it's a new technology. There's going to be good parts and bad parts to it. Yeah. And, and, and on that point, you know, who are, who are some of the folks or groups that you might know of that are willing to engage with these national security conversations around uh, Bitcoin? Because you're right. It's a sanctioned conversation. And I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, set, again, set Bitcoin aside. It's like, how are we actually moving about with sanctions? I mean, a lot of America found out and heard the word sanction a lot with Russia and Ukraine, right? That was kind of constantly in the news day after day, like, sanctioning Russia, cutting off energy sources, this and that, and seeing how that plays out on the global stage. Um, so I think in general, yeah, the United States thinking about how do we approach national security and sanctions in general, and having some, some Bitcoiners at the table, dare I say, having some crypto companies, you know, whoever is engaging and tangential, but can also understand Bitcoin um, at the table to have these conversations. So do you feel like that? I'm sure there can be more and more of that and needs to be more and more of that. Um, but do, where do you feel that we are at, at that point in terms of people that understand Bitcoin and understand these things being at those tables or being invited to those tables? Well, I think there's some work that's been done definitely uh, by groups that have been around for a long time, like Coin Center and the like. Mm-hmm. And um, But we need, I guess what I'm saying is we need to have some kind of public-private you know, enterprise where yeah, there's... It. A lot of these smart people who are there may be providing the, that, that, but working together the way most things should be done. It's just a public-private cooperative effort, not just a, you know the government's going to think about what they want to think about and then do it. And I think just drawing even the analogies of like, you know, like Dennis Porter said, Dennis said, you know, just now like that, uh, you know, Gaza used mainly cash, right? So does that mean if you have cash in your wallet, you're a money laundering concern? We should all stop using cash. I mean, some of this stuff has to just be in the in the, el- the realm of reality of understanding what the tech is and coming up with some smart, smarter solutions than I can think of um, that their, you know, Treasury and others are willing to engage on. And I think we have to meet that. And that's what I mean is meeting them where they're at because they're worked up enough and they've apparently seen enough, whether it's North Korea or what, where there's been some use supposedly of, of Bitcoin or crypto writ large, but then there's other things where we see how it's been able to be seized by a government or other aspects of things too. And so there's just a lot of nuances to this conversation that I just, I, as, as an American, I'm kind of, I'm a little offended that we would go to the Patriot Act on something like this and not have it in a debate that isn't just bearing down on us Janet Yellen's going to decide now we all can't use mixers and tumblers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dennis, any other thoughts on, on FinCEN? I'll, I'll transition just a little bit, uh, maybe closing out with some, some fun uh, SEC talk, but um, any other closing thoughts on, on FinCEN and just, you know, what, what you recommend to people that are, that are concerned about things like this and how to get involved? Cause I know outside of your work with Satoshi action, they have gleaned enough to see that you're, you're very, um, passionate about the political process. I think you're passionate about both of you really um, having an educated citizenry that that speaks up and engages with their elected officials or their community, you know, whatever about this. So uh, do you have any recommendations on how people can engage on these things? Again, you know, whether it's, whether it's people saying misinformation about Bitcoin mining or FinCEN, um, how would you advise Bitcoiners who care about this stuff to, to engage? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and uh, definitely agree with Jason's sentiment there that we should be having the debate. These processes should not be short-circuited. Um, and when we have the debate, we need to have 
as mentioned earlier, uh, a lot of folks at the table that understand, or at least uh, see the value of the technology and understand its potential. Um, I would say if you want to see more Bitcoiners, if you want to see people who care about this technology at the table, then there's really two, maybe three ways to do that. Number one would be to show up yourself, right? Like go ensure that you participate in whatever fashion that you can. And fortunately, the political uh, system has a variety of ways that you can engage. You can engage by writing letters as people have been doing, writing comments for FinCEN. Um, you can do it by retweeting what people are doing uh, in the space that are being active and that are having a positive impact. You can do it by showing up. Uh, we did a, a Bitcoin book day. We handed out a, a, you know, a copy of a Bitcoin book. Uh, we had a few different ones we were passing out to every single congressional office by hand in DC. Um, those, these are things that we do and these are things that other people will do and have done before in advocacy space. Um, so showing up, just show up over and over and over again, because when you show up, that has a really Im big impact on uh, policymakers and the folks in the policy world. And most people are not willing to show up and advocate for their cause because they don't care enough about it. But if you do care enough about this technology, if you do care enough about Bitcoin and its potential, and you do want the United States to be a leader on the technology, then you're going to have to show up. And you can do that um, also uh, financially. You know, you can do that by buying Bitcoin, but also you can do that by donating Bitcoin or donating fiat to organizations that are going to be working on your behalf. So that could be Satoshi Action. That could be uh, a variety of other organizations out there. I think Jason mentioned Coin Center. Um, they do excellent work on analyzing what's going on. I think there's not really an organization that even really does what Coin Center does to the degree that they do. They're very, very good at what they do. Um, so, so supporting those those entities because if you find an organization that is doing good work, providing results, which I think is the most important component, providing results, um, showing their proof of work, you know, support those organizations because you're only going to expand the amount of proof of work that they do. I'll tell you as a as a you know person who's running multiple nonprofit organizations that do this type of stuff, like when money comes in, we expand and we do add on new features, we add on new abilities. So as an example, we launched a research arm and because of the financing that we've received some from some of our generous donors, we were able to produce peer reviewed research around Bitcoin mining, right? Like it's every bit of money unlocks a new ability for these organizations to go out there and advocate for you. So if you don't want to show up, if you don't want to take the time um, to do so, um, you know, you know, vote with your money, so to speak. Vote, vote with your economics, um, and that's what's going to be make. That's what's going to make sure that we have Bitcoiners, good people that understand this technology, at the table, uh, because none of this stuff is cheap. None of it, absolutely, none of it is free. So, definitely couldn't 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 advocate for that more. Obviously, as a person who's who uh, receives donations, of course, I'm going to encourage you to do so. Um, but at, but for certain, um, we need to be showing up, and we need to be doing it. Resentless, you know, re relentlessly, because there are other organizations and there are other en entities and there are other um, issues that are doing the same thing. And if you want Bitcoin to matter to your policymakers, you're going to have to participate in the system uh, to to grow that. But I, but but I will say from a positive note that we have seen a lot of that taking place. Uh, we have seen a ton of support coming in to Satoshi Action from a from an anecdotal perspective. We have seen a lot of policymakers turn a positive eye towards this technology. So. What we're doing is working, uh, so we either need to do at least just keep doing what we're doing, or we need to, you know, if you want to see it happen faster um, or in a more significant way, you know, you know, lend yourself to the cause, so to speak, is, is would be my, my my closing statement. 
And if you like a good, uh, if you like a good protest, uh, Trey, also you can come out to Portland. All the teachers are on strike right now. Oh, are they really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. We've had that fair share in the Boston area for sure. Um, no, that's great. Thank you, Dennis. That, that is fantastic advice and such a good soundbite too, just for people to, to pay attention to and focus on. Um, and, and lastly, before I let, let you guys go, I'm just curious your, you know, it's one of those things people like to talk about in the Bitcoin space. I spend most of our conversations and episodes focused on environmental concerns, focused on human rights concerns, focused on all of these things and very little about number go up. And this isn't even necessarily a number go up conversation or a question, but I'm curious your thoughts on how the landscape will look um, once a Bitcoin ETF comes into play in the United States, a spot ETF. Um, I would say, you know, this isn't financial advice in any regard from this platform at all or for me. But the assumption is that the Bitcoin spot ETF will come at some point, right? Um, whether it's later this year, whether it's next year, it seems that is trending in the direction. So what are your thoughts on what uh, that will do to the Bitcoin landscape, what that will do to the regulatory landscape and some of these conversations we're having? Is it net positive? Are there things that you're concerned about in terms of um, the Bitcoin ETF? Um, uh, Jason, why don't we start with you? I don't want to be like Debbie Downer, but I have a view that it's not going to be till late next year. I think there will be one, but I just don't see a rush to do it. Um, I think I think it will be done. And I think what you'll hear from Gensler is he's now embraced Bitcoin. This is the land of innovation. This is what he's always talked about with Satoshi White Paper. And it's going to be done to kind of flank off some of the other crypto projects that always mm -hmm. complain about Bitcoin and feel that they're not treated the same way. So I think that that'll be a way of him toward the end of his term, marking off his legacy as having approved the first Bitcoin ETF. I just don't think it'll be next week or next month, but I do think we'll see it. And when we do, it's going to really try to highlight, at least from his perspective, what he's done for innovation over the last four or five years in his role as SEC chair. That's my mm. two cents. That's interesting you made it so Gensler focused when the, the best of the SEC would assume this is a SEC compliance decision, but but Gensler's a very involved um, official with, with this process. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I think I would agree with a lot of that. Thanks, Jason. Dennis, what about you? Uh, yeah, I, you know, Jason certainly would know much more about the logistics of when an ETF would take place than myself, uh, given his background. Um, uh, I tend to li always live within the mindset that the bear market uh, is going to be longer than expected. I think it's a it's sort of rooted in my organization having been born in a bear market. So we don't have any op any problem operating in a bear market. We don't have any uh, problem uh, providing results in a bear market or um, you know growing our support. Certainly, we would people would have more money to donate um, in a in a bull market. But um, we're in a really great place, so we don't feel like there's any rush. In fact, um, you know, the longer we're able to go in this position, sort of in some ways, is better for us because when you come when new bull markets come. You see all sorts of new participants uh, try to participate in the process uh, of, of advocating for Bitcoin, which is, can be good in some ways, but it's always sort of competition for the for the donation, so to speak. Right? Um, when it comes to BlackRock entering the ETF space, I think in particular because that was who you referenced. Um, the one really key benefit of that really is that once someone becomes, and we may already be there because of given the direction that we're going, but once somebody becomes a a Bitcoin company has a Bitcoin product, 
all of a sudden they become very interested in advancing Bitcoin. And that is very good for all Bitcoiners. Mm. So I think that when, as BlackRock leans into the space and as other really large institutions lean into the space, you'll see them apply resources to defend and to advocate for Bitcoin, uh, which is really good because BlackRock is one of the largest you know, financial entities in the entire world. And to have their resources brought to bear to defend Bitcoin, I think is a very significant thing um, and maybe may, may already be taking place. I would like to to press back uh, against the people that say, though, that, you know, all of a sudden, all, all this research in, around Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining and it being good for the uh, good for the planet and good for ESG is because of BlackRock uh, and them giving it a stamp of approval. I, I don't think it has anything to do with that. In fact, you know, a lot of this stuff has been cultivated for a long time. Um, some of it by myself, some of it by other folks like Daniel Batten, who does incredible work. Um, and so don't, 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 don't be confused to think that just because BlackRock is coming in here that now all of a sudden everything is all green and friendly, which is an accusation that people sort of lobby against them in the past. Um, it really discounts all of the hard work that has taken place over the last two years by people that deeply care about the environment and deeply care about showing the value of Bitcoin mining as a tool for uh, mitigating methane emissions and renewables. Um, um, but certainly there will probably be more of it because of, of BlackRock's presence. Yeah, that's that's a great take too. And yeah, I mean, it's the Trojan horse, right? I mean, from the progressive Bitcoiner um, and someone who would say probably align with a lot of what Occupy Wall Street represented, not the greatest fan of some of these big banks, right? But the beauty of Bitcoin is, you know, they care about their own self-interest and their self-interest is going to be Bitcoin if it isn't already, which in many cases it is. That's going to be good for Bitcoin. What is Bitcoin for? Good for the little guy. So that's the beauty of uh, this technology and this um, revolution. So it'll definitely be exciting. And uh, I want to thank you both for coming on. We'll have to do this again. Um, it, I, I thought it was a really great conversation. And I think people will really glean and learn a lot from and hopefully share as well with other folks that don't really understand the regulatory landscape or, or want to hear more um, dare I say realistic view of some of these things and, and put that out there while still, you know, optimistic here for this. Um, before we jump off, Jason, Dennis, Jason, we can start with you. Where can folks um, find you, your work, um, and, and follow along? Sure. You can um, reach me on Twitter at Regulatory Jason. Um, do work, uh, like I said, advising with the, the Bitcoin Policy Institute. So great, great set of folks there from a nonprofit, a lot of professors, things like that. So always reach out and I'm, you know, helping them along. And then, um, yeah, just, uh, you know, Twitter for me is the easiest way. Just DM me. Yeah, yeah. Same thing with me. You know, hit me up on Twitter. It's Dennis underscore Porter underscore. Um, and you can reach out. You can DM me. Um, I, I try to get to all my DMs. I'm also Dennis at SatoshiAction.io. Uh, if you have general comments about what we're doing, want to engage with our team, you can go to help. You can email help at Satoshi help at SatoshiAction.io. Uh, we also just as a note have a big dinner coming up. It's our annual dinner. It's a great opportunity for us to raise money to support the work that we're doing, but also to uh, network and provide an opportunity for people to come in and engage with a variety of people within our network. So uh, many of the top you know, publicly traded mining companies will be there, including some landfill miners uh, like uh, Nodal. Um, and then also we'll have uh, Senator Ron Wyden keynoting that and a few other state lawmakers in there and state regulators in there. So, um, you know, guest list is pretty significant. I'd say go check it out at uh, satoshidinner.com. Com, and you can check out all the folks that will be joining us and uh, hopefully we'll see you there awesome well thank you both so much thanks so much dennis and jason for jumping on this call for being a resource um and we'll talk again soon thanks so much